0: Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you all. It's 9.03 on a beautiful Tuesday morning, or it is where I sit anyway. We've got a busy show. Uh, Charlize Ledger Walker very shortly, and she is a basketball superstar, currently and of the future as well. Hers is a great story coming up shortly. Phil Tautarangi uh, on the, the state of uh, New Zealand golfers overseas. It's uh, cut-off time. It's FedEx time. It's also time for the women's British Open, of course, the inform Lydia Coe playing in that. Tim Horan will join us after 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll uh, update on, the, hopefully, on the Toto Kefu situation. Uh, and Tim will take a look back at that Wallabies performance at Eden Park and maybe uh, overall just where the Wallabies sit, uh, where they're at, and maybe the ghetto rule as well. Are they going to banish the ghetto rule? More on that just after 10 o'clock. Hugh Bainan and Jimmy Kaye's uh, on the panel. Uh, and then we uh, move towards uh, 11 o'clock with Louis Herman Watt, uh, Brendan Popwell. And uh, a real treat after 11 o'clock, Mark Paston, as we review New Zealand's 25 sporting moments of the last 25 years.
3: Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy Sermon.
0: Well, this is a bit of a tough one, this one. It's been a painful, reflective week in New Zealand sport. A week since the tragic and premature, uh, premature passing of a young and a talented Olivia Podmore. The teammates and colleagues on release from MIQ can now pay tribute en masse, and in their own time, of course, they will. Already the discussions will have begun at the high levels on how to relieve the pressure and expectations on even our most elite performers. It's tough because to relieve the pressure could be to minimize the importance of the goal. To say that the biggest and most significant stages that personal bests and medals are not the target. To win is not that important, A creditable performance and a loss or a draw is a new standard of success. And to emphasize that individuals are vulnerable, team is safe and secure, selection is not paramount, being left behind is is okay, it's just fine. Well, we all know that is not the case and it won't be going forward either. That is not how it's perceived. It won't be the new norm. All the organizations will look to what they can do better to alleviate the risks, minimise the, minimize the dangers to those who continue to strive to better their, recognise their vulnerability and spot those early signs of breaking points. I don't envy any of them the task, it's a catch-22 sort of situation, you're almost damned if you do, damned if you don't, when you foster the striving for the ultimate. Those that mourn today and the days ahead are central to all of this because it's likely they will have come through some significant lows to get the desired result that they've got now. Not at all easy indeed, but very necessary and with some degree of urgency as well.
4: All right,
5: here we go. We'll know here momentarily. Charlize Ledger Walker.
6: Working on Yaney, got inside, left hand up, and it drops, and there's the horn, oh. and Washington State has won the game in overtime at 71-69. That
1: is exactly what Shooter's Confidence is in
6: one bucket. Charlie's Ledger-Walker, Bellamericatete <laughs> taking Kami Etheridge into her arms. This team celebrates, they're so passionate.
0: Wonderful commentary there for uh, our very own Charlize Ledger-Walker, who uh, joins us uh, this morning. Uh, What an absolute superstar of American college basketball. She is already for Washington State University, uh, just finishing her freshman year. And at the moment, the 19-year-old is back here dominating the women's NBL for the Waikato Wizards. Good morning, Charlize. How are you this morning?
7: Good morning. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm good, thank you.
0: Good on you. Hey, look, it's been a great start for Waikato, your mum's team, uh, 35, 55 and 52 points, uh, the season's (laughs) margins already, so uh, you couldn't have asked for much more there.
7: No, yeah, it's been a really, really good start for us, so um, looking forward to the rest of our games coming up.
0: Real family affair, Crystal's playing uh, and mum's coaching, so that must be an interesting dynamic.
7: Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously used to playing with Crystal um, in college, but it's so nice to be back home and playing um, for mum again as the head coach. And actually our little sister Tanika, she um, turns 15 this weekend, and that means she'll be eligible to um, play for our team as well. So she's been on the roster, but she's just been waiting to turn um, the proper age. So you might be able to see um, all three of us out there, which is pretty exciting.
0: It'd be like the Barrett brothers for the All Blacks. It'd be amazing, three of you. Yeah, yeah. Look, hey, obviously Mum's been a major influence on the on the the pathway that your that your sport has gone down. Uh, Tell us, tell us a wee wee bit about Mum, and and then also, how did you get? Were you were you scouted? How did you actually get to Washington State?
7: Yeah, so um, Mum. this is obviously, you know, one of the biggest reasons why I started playing basketball. Um she, you know, went to the Olympics with the Torphins and has played um her whole life and you know, we pretty much grew up um around the sport and so it was almost you know, we were almost destined to play um basketball and then with uh college it was always something that I wanted to um do from a from a very young age and especially watching my older sister go through that whole process I knew um, it was something that I wanted to, you know, it was a, it was a big goal of mine. Um, and so with with college, there's a couple of different ways you can go about getting a scholarship. Um, and for me, that was, they, they, they reached out to me um, after watching film and some different games, you know, with the tour firms and um, New Zealand age group competitions and things like that. And they kind of reached out to me and, um, you know, said, hey, look, we've watched some film on you. Um, and we really like what we see sort of thing, <laughs> um, and then they kind of offer you um, a scholarship like that.
0: So, uh, Charlize, uh, tell us also, you know, at the age of 16, uh, you became obviously our youngest ever tall fern, but you won a bronze at the Commonwealth Games. Um, you know, you're know, you older than your younger sister, who's just become eligible, but you're 16 and a medalist. Um that would must have been an amazing time.
7: Yeah, it, it really was. It was such a big um a big thing for me, especially, you know, at such a young age, still at school and um I I actually when I was um trialling for the team, I really didn't expect to um make it. I didn't expect to go on that tour. Um so when I got the call from our head coach guy, um, you know, I was just so shocked. And he actually had to ring Um, my mum first to check if I would be okay to, you know, balance school school and things like that while I was away because obviously I'd miss um, two weeks of school uh, before our holiday started. So he actually had to ring her and get the okay from mum first before I was allowed to go on tour. Um, But, yeah, it was just such an amazing experience and I just learned so much from that tour and being around, you know, the other tour firms who just so professional in what they do and um, just learning different things from them was amazing. So it was just such a big, big feeling um, of, you know, excitement and also nerves, obviously. Um, But, yeah, just just more excitement and just so grateful to have the opportunity to go on a trip like that and to come away with a, you know, bronze medal is more than I could have asked for. So just super grateful for that one.
0: So you head overseas, uh, you get um, selected to go to Washington State, which is uh, quite a prestigious university. Uh, The the plus, of course, is your your sister's uh, over there. Crystal's already over there, so it's not quite Mm -hmm. such a hard move, that it would be if you were perhaps heading out on your own. I had a son that went through uh, West Mm -hmm. Virginia on a football scholarship, so I know the NCAA uh, NCAA system uh, pretty pretty well in terms of being totally amateur. Mm Um, you know you might get a little bit yeah. of help along the way, but it 's not like you 're making huge amounts of money getting all sorts of free um, gear and endorsements and things it 's a pretty hard it 's a pretty hard way to spend a life uh, even though you 're doing what you want to do isn 't it
7: um, a little bit I think there's definitely um, pros and cons i mean when you look at it in a in a um, or well, if you look at the pros, I guess you are over there getting uh, you know, free education and um getting to play the sport you love. Um so that's just, you know, something again I'm super grateful for. Um but it can be very um, you know, tough, especially um as an athlete, having to balance both academics, um and your sport and just, you know, every other thing every other um thing that's been demanded of you over there. Um, so, yeah, it can definitely be tough, but, you know, it's still just such a great opportunity.
0: Well, you've broken all sorts of records in your freshman year. That's, uh, for those that don't know, that's the first year. Uh, the top scorer in the Pac-12, 400-plus points. Um, amazing record to the point where you've basically been recognised uh, as the Pac-12 freshman of the year, which is something, and when you look at all the people that play basketball, Charlize, that's an incredible honour. Uh, that must be um, a heck of a good team that you're playing in and around though but did you expect that level of success going over there first up?
7: Um, <laughs> to be honest, probably not. Um, not at that high level. Um, we are in the Pac-12 conference so it's a pretty, um, you know, really, really good conference. We play the likes of Stanford, UCLA, um, Oregon, teams like that who are obviously big, big names. Um And so going over, yeah, definitely didn't expect to have that sort of success. Our team was actually ranked last in our conference. So even just winning games, you know, people were surprised. Um, So when we did start having that success, it was definitely such a um, cool bonus to have as well. You You
0: live in Pullman. Uh, I just googled Pullman to find out where it was. Actually, you, I mean you're such mm. a superstar over there. It's quite a small place, but you're such a superstar they recognise you in the street as a college basketballer out of Washington State. So uh, they've adopted you. Um, on the way that you've been playing, what's it, what's it like to be a bit of a celebrity in Pullman?
7: <laughs> yeah, they they have um, a few people have recognized me actually, especially you know when we started winning games and going on a little bit of a run, um, people were definitely tuning in and you know how they're just so into their sports over there and so so many people come to the, or sorry, I should say watch. With COVID, they didn't come to the games. Um, but yeah, it, it is pretty cool um, just walking around and people know who you are and talk to you and, and things like that. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, I guess you could say.
0: So when do you head back to, to Washington State for... Uh, year number two, sophomore year?
7: Um, me and Crystal head back next month after the ferns Tour.
0: Okay, that's cool. And, okay, so we look at it, look at your pathway now. Okay, still young, uh, still working out, I guess, what you want to do in life. I, I would imagine the women's <laughs> NBA would be a, a, a dream for yeah. you. But, of course, you have to study along the way. You mentioned you, you have to meet certain standards of, of education and, and, and grades, etc., Uh, What are you looking to study uh, if if, uh, basketball doesn't work work out?
7: Um, I'm studying um, business management at the moment and environmental science. So looking to hopefully merge those two together in some sort of way Um, after I'm not definite on what I want to do as as a career type of thing. So still just trying to figure that out um, at the moment.
0: Charlize, uh, I've just got a text in actually, Um, are there any other New Zealand students at uh, WSU and and do you encounter, uh, as you go around the country, do you encounter many New Zealanders?
7: Um, Well obviously apart from Crystal, um, there is actually a swimmer who is over there, she was a freshman um, with me as well, her name's Kiana Um, and then I know there's been a couple of rowers that have been over to WSU in the past um, I'm not sure if they're still there now, but in terms of Kiwis over in the States, there's definitely, um, you know, a lot of basketballers that I know, um, that it's been, you know, such a big opportunity and people have become more aware of it, so it's cool to see more people go over. Um, but I know there's a lot of New Zealanders going over for different sports.
0: So Crystal's uh, into her what her last year, is, is that correct? Her senior year and... and... What are her plans?
7: Yep, it'll be her senior year going over and she's actually starting a Masters um, as it's her sixth year going over. And then after that, she's probably looking to play professionally um, as well. So hopefully, if not in the um, American system, then she'll go over and play in Europe.
0: Charlize, I want to read you a couple of quotes, what uh, what you've said, and, um, and I find them interesting and, and this day and age where we're living now, particularly with the pressure on young people uh, playing sport, et cetera, and, and making that decision, making it or not making it. One of them is you said pressure is a privilege. Pressure is only applied to people who are in positions where they can make something happen. You must be quite a, a, a deep thinker about these these situations. <laughs>
7: um, yeah, that, that was just kind of off the top of my head, really, Um People have asked me about that quite a lot um how I deal with pressure and you know tough situations like game um situations and it's um just something that I've really thought about over the time and come to realize that it is it is a it is a um privilege you know to be in those situations and um to to really make something happen so I've just um recently you know come into more of a grateful mindset and so that's kind of where that um you know, quote has come from is just recognizing, taking a more of a step back and saying, you know what, it, it's actually such a cool thing to be in, be in positions like that. So it's definitely, um, you know, a privilege for me.
0: And on receiving uh, all the accolades and all the awards you've had in your freshman year, you said I could win all these awards but still be disappointed in how I performed. But if I put everything out there, then I think that it's a, a successful season. I think success is how content you are with who you are right now. I mean, you're only 19 years of age. You're thinking like a seasoned old pro there. Uh, so I, I just get back to that point. Uh, you go deeper than just the game itself.
7: Yeah, yeah, I do. And I think it's, you know, a lot of credit to um, the people around me and who I, you know, who's who's kind of mentored me in terms of my parents and parents. Um, different coaches and, and things like that. I've got such a great support system and, um, you know, they just help me realise it's it's bigger than the game. I mean, basketball is just a game and we love the sport, but um, there's other things that are more important and um, that just goes back to, you know, that how you define success um, and things like that. So just all credit
0: to, you know, my support system and
7: my family around me for
0: that. Yeah, I think getting a base is, a, is an asset, really is a strong base. Hey, hey, look, let's just bring you back to ground zero here. Um, this Friday, you're against the Harbour Breeze. Where can people go to watch that one and see the Walker clan in action? <laughs> yes, uh,
7: we're playing at 6pm on Friday at the Bruce Pullman Arena um, in South Auckland.
0: Okay, that's where to go, folks. Uh, Charlie Sledger Walker and uh, the whole family will be there. Uh, hey, Charlies! thank you so much for your time this morning. You're, uh, you're an absolute standout for me. I know how hard it is uh, for young people trying to make their way in that American college system. You're clearly uh, making a real successful go of it, and you sound like a, a, a really cool person behind it as well. So, hey, thanks, thanks for your time. It's been great chatting to you. Awesome.
7: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, no problem at all. It's been wonderful. Charlies Ledger Walker, folks, mark that name down if you haven't heard it already. Um, she's a young lady of the future, and when you hear and read some of things about her and just the controlled way that she looks at things, uh, it's a bit of a lesson to all of us. Interesting, very, very interesting. Um, text uh, if you like on 8833. Uh, call us at 0800 150811. Uh, you could be possibly, possibly, I won't say caller of the month because they've given that way to James. But well, y- you could be caller of the month in some regard, and. If they don't give you anything, I'll find something for you. Anyway, there you go. Uh, So that's coming up shortly, uh, and also Phil Tatarangi on a golfing update.
2: Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
0: It's 9.26 here on SENZ, uh, working our way through to 10 o'clock this morning. And uh, of a long-held belief, we do not have a justice system. This is from Joe. Uh, We have a legal system. The difference can be Marked. Uh, and he's dead right there. Australia is probably similar. This is on the story that um, I read before that uh, uh, it's going to go through well, at the moment. Uh, these uh, young kids that have barged into Tootokefu's home and uh, assaulted, stabbed, um, caused all sorts of grief to his whole family um, are only 15 years of age. And at this stage, uh, they're dealing through, with them through the children's court. I'm not sure that's uh, appropriate. When you look at the damage that they've done, and I think also reading between the lines, it's not their first offence. Uh, also, uh, interesting news that Tana is uh, stepping away from the Blues, Tana Umanga. Um, and uh, Gizzy says, well, Tyler leaving the count, leaving Counties, Tana leaving the Blues, perhaps there's an alignment playing out there. I don't know about that, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. At some stage, uh, uh, one of us will get Tana on, and uh, we'll get to, to know what's going on behind the scenes there. Uh, But the big news overnight, of course, was that England absolutely bottled it in a a run chase or a a test match saving situation uh, against India. They were rolled um, for 120 in their second innings. It was just an appalling performance uh, against a bowling side which has accomplished very, very good, but couldn't knock over New Zealand, remember? New Zealand had to chase on a pretty average pitch. They had to chase a lot more than that and managed to do it two down, courtesy of Taylor. Uh, and Williamson apart from Joe Root they have nothing like the class in their batting lineup that New Zealand have. Here's what Joe Root had to say he took a lot of the responsibility after the match
3: Look I know it's very raw and you're probably
0: still unpacking a lot of things but
3: are you still scratching your head as to how you got into a situation of being in a good position at the start of the day to then losing this match or is it pretty clear in your mind where where things went wrong?
1: Yeah I think a lot of that has to come on my shoulders to be honest as captain you take responsibility I think tactically I could have done things slightly differently this morning um, and we went from being in a very strong position where, you know, looked like we were going to go and, and win this game to, um, to being behind things and making it very difficult for ourselves. So, um, you know, I, I've got to do a lot of learning and, and make sure that if we find ourselves in a similar position, tac- tactically I'm better.
3: And does that come down to an emotional thing because it was a pretty highly
1: charged test match? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think uh, more than anything, just probably got a, a few things slightly wrong and, and credit those that partnership there, they, they did play pretty well um, but yeah, I, I think you know, I'll look at things, probably doing it slightly
0: differently if I've got another opportunity He fights a lone battle for me, uh, Joe Root if, if he doesn't score runs and, and Jimmy Anderson doesn't get wickets England go absolutely nowhere, they're, they're in a mess I mean, for instance Burns and Sibley both made ducks this is the first time in the history of England cricket, 143 years uh, that both openers have been out for naught. Think about that, 143 years. So they, they write their names into uh, infamy, cricket infamy there, uh, the two openers, who so have been very average, very, very average. They're just one in 10 type players. You can't afford to have that at the top of your order. Sam Curran uh, down the bottom there, first King pair, it's Golden Ducks in each innings, the first one ever in the history of Test cricket at Lords. So all sorts of things there. It turned into a bumper barrage, and that's where Joe Root lost his way. Uh, because uh, Bumrah and Shami and Co. had given Jimmy Anderson and the tail enders a bit of stick, a bit of uh, chin music, as they call it. Uh, he didn't like that, so they reacted. And when it came to uh, Shami and Bumrah being together yesterday morning, when they had to knock them over with line and length, he decided, no, we'll go short and have a crack at them. Uh, Bumrah, in fact, had to survive two, two concussion, concussion tests, two concussion tests through in that innings, but he still managed to be not out at the end of it. That partnership was key. It batted uh, India to safety, and then, of course, the, the batting card of England, Burns nought, Sibley nought, Hamid 9, Root 33, top score. Again, best 2, Butler 25, Ali 13. It's just a tale of woe, to be honest. England, you've got massive issues in the batting department. And with all the power and they have through county cricket and the numbers they have playing the game, they have issues to deal with, and uh, it doesn't look like it's a quick fix. here on SENZ. It's golf time. One of my favourite slots of the week, this uh, joining up with uh, Phil Tartarangi. teared up with Phil on Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock. But we're here on a Tuesday morning to talk about Lydia Coe again. And I guess uh, it's not a bad thing to be talking about, Phil, because her consistency warrants it. She's been very good lately. Yeah, it really has been,
5: Smithy. It's been a nice turnaround of form for her in 2021. Really started kind of middle of last year when, um, I guess, this is kind of one of the benefits of, of COVID that's helped out Lydia is that um, now she went through, it has gone through a number of uh, coach changes, but um, when Justin Rose was marooned, feel sorry for him on the Baham, in the Bahamas for COVID, uh, wasn't able to work with Sean Foley, um, she was kind of spending a little bit of time just kind of working on her own game unsuccessfully and, um, and started working with Sean Foley. And it seems like over the last 12 months, about 12 months or so ago now, over the last 12 months, she's become the person that she was. Um, Confident, light, um, smiling, really enjoying playing, and of course returning to being competitive very, very consistently.
0: Well, I look at uh, golfers and sometimes you can see behind the scenes with their staff, etc., just where their game is at. Uh, And a lot of players uh, tend to change coaches, change caddies, change groups behind them change equipment, but it seems that Lydia, who was guilty of that, I won't say guilty, but she was a, was a common occurrence, put it that way, um, of changing personnel around her, it seems like she's been more more stable of late uh, in that regard. Yeah, I think so. I think she's, I mean, there's still been some catty changes
5: in behind the scenes, really, but um, what I've, I've learned, just being a little bit around the LPGA through the last handful of years or so, and, and, and certainly following Lydia's career closely and talking to people that far more knowledgeable about the situation than I am, that that's fairly commonplace on the LPGA, maybe more so out there than on the men's tour. And um, I'm still not quite sure why that is. I've tried to get some quantifiable answers as to why that change takes place. But um, you know, it, it, it seems like a lot of the women, top women players in the world are not afraid of it. And, and in talking to Lydia a little bit herself personally, quietly, away from microphones about this, that there's always that pursuit, there's hunger of getting better. And, you know, we've, we've, we come across athletes at different stages in, in the jobs that we have, somebody where they're just never satisfied. They're always looking for that extra edge. And some, that, sometimes that can drive you to um, some, some decline in performance. And sometimes it can be a little bit of a rocky road. The best in the business. Tiger Woods was not afraid of of, of changing coaches and, and and changing different things. That a lot of things we didn't see on the outside, but was change going on behind the scenes to find that extra one percent, that extra two percent to improve their performance. And you know, kudos to Lydia. I think over the last, um, well, certainly this twenty twenty one campaign, you know, this shoes her career was on a um, on a bit of a slide, and, and she's done a great job of being able to turn it around. Her short game's sharp again. For me, a lot of focus has been on her driver and, and whether she can you know, find a bit of extra length and find a few more fairways. But for me, it was all about whether she could knock down those 20-footers. And her iron game's always been there or thereabouts. Her short game has kind of come in and out. It's always been a strength of her game, but it's been coming in and out the last couple of seasons. But could she knock down the birdie putts when she hit greens and regulation? She's been able to do that a little bit more regularly this season.
0: Well, the Scottish Open was uh, was your second on, on a Lynx golf course, of course, this weekend. They go to Carnoustie. Um, I have walked mm-hmm. to Carnoustie, not uh, with clubs in hand, but I've walked along uh, some of the, the rough edges of Carnoustie. Now, if the wind blows there uh, and they, they leave the rough relatively long, we're going to see some quite big numbers, uh, I would imagine, Phil. It could be tough.
5: Yeah, you're right. It, it, when the wind blows in, at Carnoustie, it makes it look like a, a southerly bluff is just a, uh, a sea breeze. And so, um, you're right, I think the, the Opens that have been held there for the men and for the women, um, it, she's, she's a bit of an armrest. In actual fact, the last time they went to Carnoustie for the Women's British Open, it so was 10 years ago, 2011, and uh, they were very, very aware of just how challenging it could play for uh, the best young women's players in the world uh, on, on, the, on the back of a couple of men's Opens where they weren't able to break par and so they set it up a bit softer, uh, played a little bit shorter, and a number of the women said, hey, we, we were used to coming here and, or thinking of coming here and, and Karnusti, uh standing up to its name of Karnasti, and 16-under was the winning score. So I, I suspect, and in, in just a little bit of the reading that I've done and looking in, um, that that may not be the case. It won't be quite as bone dry as it was a couple of years ago when Francisco Molinari won the men's Open there. Um, but it, it's one of those golf courses, you know, some of really unique, and I'm not sure if you pick this up when you're walking around, but no two holes go in the same direction at Carnusie. Yeah. So to your point, if it does get breezy, um, it's, it's always tough to feel like you've actually got the metal of the golf course. It always feels like the wind is keeping you a little bit off guard. Distance of control becomes challenging. Um, and so therefore, someone who's consistent, consistent with the ball striking in particular, is most surely someone who's going to rise to the top at the end of the week.
0: With Phil Tauranga here talking uh, PGA, PGA Golf now, because whilst the major tournaments are over for this calendar year, it's FedEx time, which means it's top 125 time, Phil, and it also means probably one of the most painful times of the year for a lot of those bubble perimeter golfers. Uh, Where did Danny Lee and Tim Wilkinson sit in the equation? Yeah, good good call.
5: Uh, Unfortunately, unfortunately, they've been on the DL here the last uh, few months. Um, Danny, um, a a, a fractured rib um, mid-season, and and for Tim Wilkinson, who hasn't had many starts or hadn't had many starts um, at the start of this year, um, actually had... Achilles or ankle surgery, not not Achilles, ankle surgery earlier in the season. So both Danny and Tim uh, haven't been able to complete the season. They've, nevertheless, we're outside of that 125 and we're trending in that direction anyway. They will have a medical extension to, to pick up when they get fit and healthy and well um, and an equation to try and regain their status in the new season, which only starts about a month's time. Um, but yes, you're right, uh, for, for, for the last tournament, which was this past weekend, end up being a six-way playoff, Kevin Kisner coming to the fore there. There's always the storylines about those guys, whether they can extend their season, play the postseason, or whether they lose their status, have to go back to the Corn Ferry Tour playoffs and try and regain their status, status. Or those players, like a Ricky Fowler, who are exempt um, for, for years coming up, just get it some time to reevaluate, sit out the marquee events here concluding the season try and retool themselves. As it as it all works down and I don't you know the fans haven't really kind of got their heads around this whole FedEx Cup thing, even though we're now into the fourteenth season, Smitty, the the, the what, top one twenty five was decided by one FedEx cup point mm. over the weekend. Chesson Hadley shot sixty two with a hole in one on Sunday to nab the last spot and Justin Rose, Justin Rose of all people missed five footer on the last to finish 126 so he's going to have a few weeks off um, before he can press his claim, may actually head back over to the UK and get in front of Padre Carrington and try and stake his claim for one of the captain's spots for the Ryder Cup which is only a couple of months away
0: Phil Taurangi, as always thank you very much uh, for your time this morning folks, you can Join Phil every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, teared up with Phil. Lots more information about the golfing scene, uh, both overseas and local, of course, and Phil's absolutely right. And uh, I'll go back to that book uh, that I quoted to you, which is A Good Walk Spoiled by John Feinstein. John Feinstein, you can uh, find it in your library or uh, look at it uh, some other way, I guess, these days. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to talk about pressure and pain in sport particularly uh, in golf, where you think everything's quite comfortable. Uh, That is one of the best sporting books on that subject you will ever read. I promise you that. It's 9.42 on SENZ.
2: Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on
0: SENZ. Lydia Coe actually up to number six in the world, which has been her highest ranking for quite some time. It's been a heck of a comeback, and it's... uh, A really good story at the moment, Uh, some real momentum heading into the British Women's Golf Open at Carnoustie starting Thursday night, New Zealand time. Uh, Speaking of uh, sport from England, Rich has come in to me regarding the Test match. What a thrilling day of Test cricket, he says. Uh, Hats off to India securing a victory which never looked possible after lunch. But England cricket seriously need to look at red ball because that performance was terrible. Aside from Root, The batting is vulnerable, and yet the ECB continue to ignore that. The Test players need more county cricket rather than some hit-and-giggle stuff like the 100. India have been in England since the WTC final, with a few actually playing county cricket to get ready for the Test series. Valid point there, Rich. Uh, Actually, uh, you can text us in with this if you like. Uh, After 11 o'clock, John Day and I are going to do another Mount Rushmore. And uh, this time, our subject is uh, the best or worst uh, I guess best John best number 11's best uh, tail end is no. it in the history of world cricket I thought I'd go worst? the other
2: way Smithy because um, it was a great rearguard action from Boomer from and Shami wasn't it just so so mm-hmm. good and I was like man what happened to your classic bunny like they're gone now. You can, like Trent Bolt at eleven. He's not a bunny, is he? he's one of the best number elevens I think you've probably ever seen. So I thought let's go back in time, Smithy, and or maybe more present. Let's name our four worst tail enders we possibly can.
0: Okay, uh, well you can do that, folks. Eighty eight thirty three. Just text us your uh, your worst number elevens of all time in the time that you've been watching cricket. Uh, is it Chris Martin? Is it Danny Morrison? Is it Courtney Walsh? Is there someone else in your mix? Glenn McGrath, until he got 60-odd against us at the Gabba, was pretty awful. Then Steve Waugh got hold of him and said, you can contribute more with the bat than you are. And uh, he actually tended uh, turned up being, white. what about the night watchman? Uh, Gillespie, Jason Gillespie, was sent out to bat the night watchman capacity and got 200. One of the great stories. So, uh, yeah, text us um, with your top or best or worst war, actually. I, I quite like calling it the top because tail end is a, uh, legendary sort of guys they're the kind of guys when they block a ball they get a standing ovation that, that's the kind of player we're looking for so yeah yeah the in, in best that, of right. the worst like guys you loved watching
2: because they were just so bad at batting and you were right mm. in there with like chris martin's a great example and i'm sure he'll feature in our top fours i mean crowds used to go nuts <laughs> when he'd come in at the end
0: a full crowd he'd block the ball and they go absolutely bananas yeah i agree totally agree uh, look, um, uh, on League News, uh, Sharks prop Andrew Fafita, John, has been placed in an induced coma and is scheduled to undergo surgery on uh, today after suffering a fracture to his larynx. Uh, Cronulla officials uh, reported on Monday night that Fafita was in a stable condition after experiencing breathing difficulties following Sunday's loss to Newcastle at Redcliffe and he was admitted to the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital. Continued swelling in his throat led to doctors sedating him Uh, He's 32 years of age, and his wife, Nikki, has been by his side since Sunday night. So league fans, of course, that includes us. Uh, Wish Andrew Fafita and his uh, family all the very best. So, yeah, um, not a good story that, and clearly either a high shot or something involved.
2: Yeah, he copped a blow to his throat where the larynx is, um, went off, I think, for like a concussion test, and came back on, Smithy, to play. Uh, couldn't get through it so they took him off uh, and then they realised hey this is pretty bad uh, took him to hospital and then the swelling just kept on coming uh, and to the point where he couldn't breathe so the doctors made the decision we've got to put him in an induced coma to help him out with breathing uh, and that's where he still is um, by all accounts he's okay not life threatening or anything but just what hell, of, what a hell of a blow you must get to your throat to end up in an induced coma and the fact that he came back on uh, it's just the mark of some of these rugby league guys are just so bloody tough, too tough for their own good sometimes.
0: He's tough cookie. He is a tough cookie. He's a big unit and a tough man. It might have done a lot more damage to perhaps someone slightly smaller, and uh, I think it's a good thing that they're paying more attention to those shots uh, above the shoulder in league than they used to. Uh, look, hey, we're fired, fired up the text. Chris Martin or Willie Watson from Marty and Dunedin. Willie Watson, handy player, handy enough player, Willie Watson. Uh, I think from memory, Willie Watson did have number eleven stamped on his bat, though. Uh, Chris Martin, Danny Morrison with question marks. Uh, God bless the grocer, but Chris Martin has to rank right up there, although he did bat with a lot of heart. Uh, so the top four worst number elevens: Chris Martin, Ian Smith. Good God, Dominic, you idiot! Uh, Courtney Walsh and Monty Panesar. Dominic, good God, Dominic from Hawke's Bay would not be the Dominic I do know, the only one I do know in Hawkes Bay. Um, really. Poorly brought up kid. Got to be Chris Martin. I remember when uh, he smoked Mitchell Johnson for four through the covers. Shot of his career. It's Brett. I remember when Chris Martin, uh, for about a year and a half, hadn't scored a run in front of Square. I know that in Test cricket. That's a pretty hard damn thing to do. Peter Petrick. Yes, Peter Petrick, John. That is an excellent call going way back. And he is. A genuine, a genuine number 11, or he was. Dear old Pistol not with us anymore. One of the great characters, and never for one moment uh, did he pretend that he could bat at all. Uh, It's 9.53 here on SENZ. More of those texts will be a a lot of fun throughout the morning. Your top four worst number 11s. Uh, When we come back, speaking of bad and worse, it's multi-time. He's
2: the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when
3: to hold up, know when to fold up. Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
0: Crappy Monday it was, Multi wise. Uh, Dodgers, uh, they beat the Mets quite comfortably. Uh, but Portland got smashed by the Seattle Sounders, 6-2. My son said Euro Drop kick there. Don't ever take uh, anyone to beat Seattle. Uh, so I won't be doing that. Again, uh, ATP Cincinnati, um, Monfeast, I didn't even care. I, I don't care. That was uh, such a demoralizing result. Uh, so let's uh, look at today. Uh, tennis, uh, it is the uh, Western and Southern Open. Danielle Collins to beat Shelby Rogers. At women's singles, at $1.56. The Astros to beat the Royals $1.63 with Oda Risi on the mile, on the mound, so Houston uh, uh, $1.63. Uh, and English Championship Football uh, tomorrow morning, it is quite early, Reading to beat Bristol City at $2.20. $5.59 return. Let's make it a terrific Tuesday multi. Monday was pretty murky. Bruce Reid facing Pringle. That's another one of the texts that we've got in. Chris Martin, without a doubt, the worst. The bloke didn't even take a bat to training. Morrison and Walsh, close behind. Good theme to start, uh, continue on after 10 o'clock and towards midday as well. Our Mount Rushmore, worst number 11s of all time.
2: All winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
0: 1003 here on SCNZ and the rugby world, sporting world in fact, yesterday was rocked by the news that Totai Kefu's home had been invaded by three uh, perpetrators, I guess we call them at this stage, um, and uh, his whole family were ahe- affected in horrific scenes apparently of uh, assault, including knives and axes and things, it's just, it's so it just bears, beggars belief actually that this kind of thing can happen uh, to a family in their own home, but It's happening all around the world, and uh, when you you hear of someone that you've heard of or know, it tends to uh, hit you a little bit more closely and a little bit more um, hard, I guess it's fair to say. Tim Horan, of course, uh, is based uh, up in those areas uh, around Queensland. Uh, Tim joins us now, former Wallaby, uh, who um, I guess was uh, rocked more than most yesterday with this news, Tim. Uh, Really, uh, have you had an update on on how Totai Kefu is faring now and his family?
8: Yeah, good day, Smitty. Um, yeah, everyone was shocked, weren't they? Um, right around the world, it was uh, incredible. And uh, I live in Brisbane, only a couple of suburbs away from where Todd I and his wife Rachel live. And um, I got a call at about 5:30 yesterday morning to hear the news of what had just happened. And so, um, uh, yeah, Todd he was critical at one stage. Um, yeah, three offenders entered the house and uh, were trying to um, look around the kitchen for car keys. And Todd obviously came down from upstairs to see what the noise was and. He was confronted with you know, three people with um, knives and machete and an ax, so um, his family came to help. So, um, at the moment, um, he's stable, which is great. He went into operating theater yesterday. Um, it looks like he'll pull through uh, critical when he arrived at the hospital, but uh, his son, Josh, as well, had um, some very bad stab wounds through his um, back and also his stomach, and um, so they have been operated on. Um, Maddie, um, Todai's daughter, I it's going to get a little bit of operation this morning. Um, a lot of concerns for Rachel Kefu, um, Polly's wife, who had a very bad lacerations to her arm. I think a machete must have sort of got her in the arm. So that she's being operated on this morning. So, yep, um, strange times, Smitty. Um, but um, you know, the rugby family uh, right around the world will get behind the Kefus and support them.
0: Uh, yeah, and the news coming through, and and uh, we get a, a bit of a second hand over here, Tim. Thanks for your update. Is that these were just kids, apparently, just fifteen-year-old, fifteen, 15 sixteen-year-old kids doing this stuff?
8: Yeah, it's incredible. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, these kids have stolen a car from you i know, on the suburbs of of Brisbane and, and driven to you know a, a very nice street where. It's happened a couple of times on this street. Um, I've got a friend of mine whose sister lives four doors down from from Todd and, O'Keffe, and a similar issue happened about eight months ago. Um, so, going to steal cars, but yeah, I mean, all our thoughts and prayers are with Todd I and Rachel and um, their lovely family. I only just saw them a couple of weeks ago. Um, another one of um, Todd I's sons, I presented the jerseys to his team and. And Rachel was there, a lovely family. We do so much off the field, as we all know, and, and Todd, our current coach of, of Tonga, and that Tongan community's a very, very close-knit community, both here in Australia and also in New Zealand as well.
0: Yeah, OK, uh, let's uh, wish him all the best. I know the rugby community in New Zealand uh, really hit hard yesterday. The, he's just been here, of course, with Tonga, the Tongan national team. Uh, let's uh, talk um, slightly more... Uh, pleasant subject and that's the game of rugby itself, Uh, Tim, although uh, the performance uh, by the Wallabies on Saturday and Bledisloe Cup 2 the the scoreline reflects uh, a slightly less uh, encouraging performance than week 1, I think it's fair to say. What did did you notice was the difference between 1 and 2?
8: Yeah, I think um, I thought the scoreline in the first test match flattered the Wallabies yes, you know, four tries, scored three late tries, I thought that probably flattered the Wallabies in the first test and probably gave us not I'm not sure the players or the fans probably got the fans a bit of false hope for the second test match, but second test match, um I was quite excited at half time uh, with the way the wallabies were playing, their physicality, the what they were doing, obviously two big mistakes which the All Blacks pounced on and scored obviously three tries in the first up, but the two, two of those tries are from mistakes from the wallabies that they are under pressure, and um you know I actually thought the Wallabies probably should have been in front something like about fifteen twelve at half-time, that's the feeling that i got about the momentum of the game, and then as you know, All Blacks, I still think they're the best team in the world, and um, what they did in that first 10 to 15 minutes in the second half sort of blew the Wallabies off the park, and and the Wallabies just couldn't get back in the game, so yep, congratulations to the All Blacks Uh, another Bledisloe Cup, and a a, a wonderful um, way that they showed people how to play Test Rugby.
0: Tim, you played in a number of Bledisloe Cup fixtures, of course, but uh, a lot of people are, uh, on this side of the Tasman are saying you know, it's losing its, its aura, it's losing its worth because of the fact that Australia can't win it. Uh, I would imagine there's a different attitude amongst the players, surely, that, that uh, there will be a day at some point
8: Hopefully, um maybe, I, I, um maybe we take maybe we take the games just back to one one test match a year. It might be a better chance. But oh, I think the uh, the Wallabies. Um, you know, don't Dave Rennie. Maybe he thought they were a bit more advanced than what they currently are. Um, I, I mean, the scoreline blew out a little bit at the end in that second test match, which is a shame for the Wallabies. Because, um, but maybe it's not a shame. Maybe it's the way the Wallabies have to learn how to really dig deep, the skill level. Um, fitness, um, you know, the composure within certain games. I think a couple of poor, you know, calls from the Wallabies. Two intercept tries. There's 14 points. Another mistake, and all of a sudden there's 21 points against you. So, um, but yeah, the All Blacks got skill right across the field, and the Wallabies will really have to regroup and and have a great opportunity in Perth in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Mm. Yeah, they do actually, and of course they've got fond memories of beating the All Blacks there uh, this time last year. So uh, something that they can take to Perth. Uh, and it seems to me that that's where uh, the rugby hub of uh, the southern hemisphere is going to be in the the next six or seven weeks. Is that the way you read it?
8: Uh, yeah, a little bit, Smitty. I think um, it's either. Obviously, I live in Brisbane in Queensland, and um, we've had pretty good record here of COVID cases the last couple of weeks. So um, zero COVID cases the last couple of days, um, and prior to that, hardly any at all. But they were, or if they were, some they were in quarantine. So option to potentially move to Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane as well, because we can have crowds here in Brisbane and also at the moment in Perth they can have crowds. So that's important for Rugby Australia financially to make sure wherever they play these test matches, there's going to be crowds. Um, But it might be because South Africa and Argentina can fly into Perth and train whilst they're there and there's a wonderful stadium there. They can be in a a players and a team bubble potentially
0: can we just go a little bit deeper into uh, Australian rugby? Because uh, looking towards the future, we, we, of course, are very lucky here. We've got, as you well know, we've got great depth through our secondary school system and then uh, our under-19s, etc. as the production line goes along. Our production line is quite healthy. Uh, if you look at the Australian production line, is there, uh, is there good depth there?
8: Yeah, there's depth coming, Smitty, but um, what we're always fighting with probably the last 10 to 15 years is the television revenue for NRL and for AFL then dictates how many coaching development offices they can have and they just smother the whole area with coaching directors, with um, plans for schools to play rugby league or Auskick or AFL. Um, and so for, for rugby, we're always fighting to try and hold our patch but and really difficult to try and grow um, any opportunities for younger kids to play rugby? Um, I think the big the big um, opportunity for us is to play seven-a-side rugby um, because there's a lot of kids around Australia who not necessarily can have schools that play fifteen-a-side, but they can get you know seven or ten boys or girls to play sevens rugby. That's where we've got to start. And um, but it comes down to that, you know, the m- massive television rights revenue that those couple of other sports, AFL and NRL, receive allows them to develop the game a lot more than we can at the moment with our resources.
0: Tim, the other thing that's uh, come up uh, since the weekend is the, perhaps the ghetto rule uh, um, being abolished, whereby uh, an Australian player can walk straight back into the Wallabies if selected after 60 test matches or seven seasons in Australian rugby at some level. Uh, what are your thoughts on that ghetto rule?
8: um i have always been for picking the best players and i and I get that um you know the gido rule was sort of put in place to reduce the amount of players going offshore and playing and and not being you know available to play in the gold jersey so but I think where Australian rugby is we really need to fight back and we need to have the best players on the field and that means Samu Karevi comes back from Japan, which is going to be in perth um training I dare say he might even play the Test match in Perth. Um, you've got Rory Arnold, you've got um, uh, Skelton playing offshore, Kirtley Beal. I'm not saying that's going to change the whole dynamic of Australian rugby, but it just gives an opportunity to select players and the best team, a bit like um, the Springboks do. Um, I don't think it'll reduce a, a great deal of super rugby players because a lot of players are playing offshore now anyway, But um, and it gives the opportunity. And also, Sniddy, what it might do, it might... Um, have potential clubs offshore looking for a player, maybe second think whether they take a player on board because then they've got to release them for maybe two months a year, maybe three months a year to go and play test matches. So I'm all for it. I think the Australian public now deserves to know that they've got the best team on the field. I'm not saying that the Wallabies on the weekend would have changed that team. Maybe one player, maybe two max in the 23, if they're allowed to pick from all around the world. Um, But it might change... Won the, uh, the opportunity for players to come back and get the best on the field.
0: So, uh, Tim, going towards Perth, um, I, I imagine Dave Rennie, Michael Hooper, um, you know, they, they will take some positives out of what they do. I mean, Hooper's an incredibly positive guy in that respect. He's so resilient. His individual form uh, in those two matches, I, I thought he was, was quite outstanding. He just lacked a, a little bit of backup at times. And, uh, so, uh, for me, he's undoubted, and and we know the qualities of Dave Rennie over here, but you know, it's 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 not a quick fix for Dave, and uh, I imagine he's going to need a little bit of leniency, a little bit of patience from those Aussie diehards.
8: Yeah, I think um, you know, Schmitter, you and I probably know that um, you know, sporting fans, it doesn't matter what code you're with, aren't, aren't that patient. But um, you're patient for a period of time, but you've got you're only patient if you can see progression, um, progression in the coach, progression in the team, and. Um, just not seeing a lot of that at the moment. Um, I think, mean, yeah, I agree with Michael Hooper-Smith. He's been fantastic, hasn't he, since he's come back from playing in J- season in Japan. And and he mentioned that, you know, he, he learned a lot from Kieran Reed. And as we all know, Kieran Reed, such a, a lovely guy off the field, what a player he was on the field, and learned little things from Kieran Reed. And, and I asked Michael Hooper, I said, what did Kieran Reed teach you? Did he keep a lot of secrets back? Did he open up a little bit? He said he was unbelievable. so he opened up enormously um, you know, told him all these different things, how he trains, what he thinks, his perception of the game and um, he said it was just an amazing experience to be able to play together.
0: Tom Horan, as always, uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. We look forward to uh, let us look up three uh, in Perth in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I, I'm not sure if you'll let it, it, in the near future get a chance to um, uh, to speak to Toto Kefi, but if you can communicate with him please uh, give him the best from the rugby fraternity and sports fans in New Zealand uh, and thanks for the yeah, update thanks, Dan, too, Tim, uh, yeah, go well, stay safe and uh, yeah, thank you again Tim been wonderful.
8: Yeah thanks Mitty, I'm sure that I'll pass on all the, the love and support from the rugby family, the community from New Zealand and especially the Tongan community um, in New Zealand and um, you know, we're all thoughts and prayers with Todd O'Keffer and Rachel and his family and um, I'm sure you'll pull through because of the uh, the love from the, the rugby family worldwide, thanks Viddy.
0: On you, Tim. Uh, absolute champion bloke, mate. Thank you. 10 16 here on SENZ. Uh, we've got the panel coming up next. Uh, we've got our very own Ricky Swinnell, um, and she's going to be joined by Jim Kays. So that might be a little combative. We've got some interesting subjects to talk about, too. Uh, that's here on SENZ in around about three, four minutes' time. From behind the stumps to behind
2: the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
0: Talk, Big Opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk me, yeah. Yeah. Panel time here on SENZ, which is great. And, uh, two really interesting panellists today. Ricky Swinnell, of course, of Sky Sport fame, commentates uh, most sports uh, that we cover on Sky these days. Uh, and, of course, she's part of the SENZ team in the afternoon on Drive. And Jimmy K, who's, uh, uh, of course, doing all sorts of things, including including producing uh, for Sky Sport, a noted uh, author as well on a number of uh, issues, but predominantly rugby. But first of all, Ricky, good morning to you. Welcome home. Uh, That's the main thing. Safe and sound. Morning. Um, Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Now, now, of course, we've seen the downside, the sad side of sport uh, with the passing of Olivia Podmore, and it's brought up a lot of issues, uh, of course, Ricky, which you'll have uh, been across, no doubt. And then you balance that against the joy of success, Uh, are the athletes that were released from MIQ yesterday and the joy on the faces of the youngsters meeting their idols who had been winners and they saw and touched those medals. It's a fine balance between those pressures and those rewards, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it it really is. And and Look, we were on the flight home as the news about Olivia Podmore came through. We We had many of the cyclists... Um, on our flight, and and obviously the news came through just at the airport, and it is because it was such joy yesterday, wasn't it? I I mean, gosh, we've we've watched so much emotional highs and lows in in the last kind of month and that is why we love sport don't we we love that we can be glued to something and we've seen these athletes you know express themselves in such a way yet high performance sport is is very cutthroat as well it has got a lot of flaws and the olympics has got a lot of flaws and it is a really fine balance and and i you know i wonder sometimes if a new zealand sport and and with the administration of it and a lot of the same people go go round and round and and a lot of the administrative side and and, you know some people are excellent but i wonder if there is enough athlete voice if there's enough young young voice um, at, at the hierarchy level for some of these sports to address these issues because as you know Smithy, athletes are very different these days to, to even a generation ago, not even 10 years ago, in how open they are, how, uh, how aware they are of social issues, of, of their own mental health and all of those things. But it's, you know, seeing those kids yesterday, um, I guess for many of those athletes is, is the reason, right? That's the why to, to be able to see that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I'll add more vulnerable as well to that list, Ricky, that you just yeah. read out. So, you know, much, much, much more vulnerable. Jimmy, good morning to you. Um, yeah, it has been an odd sort of a week. Uh, you've covered a lot of, of sport over the years, a lot of, high, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Uh, and now we see the, the athletes emerging from quarantine. And finally, I think uh, we can get to smile and, and live a bit of success again.
6: Yeah, it's a beautiful contrast, a beautifully sad contrast in many ways, isn't it? I hadn't sort of thought of it in those terms, Smithy. but you're dead right and you painted a beautiful picture of it. That that line between ecstasy and agony is so slim, isn't it? You know, you think of some of the greatest sporting moments in New Zealand and some of them actually involve uh, a mistake or, or an error or, you know, I think of Jeff Wilson with the board knocked out of his hands by George Gregan. It's an enduring memory, isn't it? Um, I, I think mm. of Tim Horan turning the All Blacks inside out in, in Dublin in 1991. It's an enduring memory. But so too Jonah Lomu, you know. And, and if you're Mike Kat, you're looking at it in a very different way, you know. And 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 I guess that is what draws us to sport is that um, that flip of the coin between oh my God, think of think of the cricket. We don't really want to, but the One Day Final, <laughs> then you commentated it? The, the, the fine line between agony and ecstasy. There, um, it's it's that. It's what draws us to sport it's what makes us love sport but you did right sometimes it's um sometimes it's tough it's really tough to take and, and clearly with our athletes just like with so many of our teenagers we need to wrap more around them to make sure that they're going to be okay because we have an, a, a huge issue not just in high performance sport but as you two both well know in new zealand in terms of mental health and let's be frank about it in terms of suicide um you, you know there's people that we know there's a person there's a bloke that we know very well Martin Devlin who attempted to take his life you know these things they do come very close to home and as friends as employers as family members as fans as whatever we might be we need to do better
3: and, and I yeah, think just on, I, carrying I, on from that sorry Smithy, I was just going to say carrying on from that I, I wonder too with with sport is that the highs are so very, very high, which means the crashes can be so very, very low as well. And and mm. I think even for those who achieved what they wanted to, who, who won a gold medal or, or, or came away with a medal, um, that crash will, will still come in the next few weeks when life quietens down again. And that's what happens for a lot of our Olympians. They don't get the 24-7 adoration and coverage. And so there, there is that crash. And, and I guess it's, it's remembering that an athlete is part of who they are, that success is part of who they are. It's not all of who, who somebody is in in whatever walk of life that is.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also too, Ricky, uh, um, you know, I think we've got a responsibility in the media here to play a part. Now, there's a story coming through this morning about Naomi Osaka again, breaking down at a press conference when a media person has accused her of using the media to her advantage. Now, Uh, that's pretty brutal stuff. I I can't imagine too many New Zealand press people would take an individual on in that way, but they're a bit more brazen over there, a bit more demanding for the scoop, for the headline, perhaps, than we even are here. Um, But I think the media have a role to play here, even though we're all searching for that scoop, aren't we? Can can I answer
3: that? You go.
6: I I think that's a disgraceful question by that person, because there is a relationship between the media and whoever we're dealing with whether it be a politician a police officer uh, a, a, a sports person that is often mutually advantageous or, or sometimes advantageous to one party and not the other and and as journalists as a journalist I've I've been in a position where I've been advantaged by talking to a sports person or to a politician or to a police officer and and to say you to accuse her, her of taking advantage of the media is just rubbish. That's, the, the, that's a fact of life, you know. Like, like we got, I got um, Mark Robinson on the show on the breakdown last night because we wanted to take advantage of that. We wanted to take advantage of his position as CEO, and and just you know, and he wanted to take advantage of the fact that he was on the show to put across his side of, of events. That is the reality of the media, and to ask that question is just—it's—it's it's naive, it's ignorant, and it's quite frankly disgraceful.
0: Ricky,
3: yeah, look, I say the media is a—is a, a look, it's—it's a, it's a wonderful industry. It is robust. It's it, you know, it's why we—why we love it. Um, but it's also a very insular industry, and—and. And, sometimes we have a a sense of of, of being a bit holier than thou. Um, You know, and and look, I've sat in some of those press conferences at at a a big grand slam in tennis, some of those big world events, and you you can see the different attitudes of of different outlets, and yes, some it is, it's trying to get a scoop, some more, there are people who vehemently believe that Naomi Osaka is absolutely in the wrong for everything that she has done recently, and it won't change that. But there's there's some more, uh, power dynamics as well, um, particularly a sport like tennis, a big global sport where you often have older men um, in a barrage at, at younger women, um, which is an interesting power dynamic in itself. So, um, but I, I think you are right in that we all, in, in media as well, have to look at what we are getting from it, what we want from something, what we're chasing and, and what we are doing to the, to the person um, that is behind the athlete.
0: Hey, great thoughts, uh, uh, really pa- passionate thoughts. Yeah, Jimmy, yeah, Maybe
3: go ahead,
6: mate. Sucker. She's got 2.8 million Instagram followers. You tell me why she needs the media, you know? She she could she could deliver her message directly to her fans and never do a press conference in her life. So you, there just needs to be a little bit of perspective on, on some of these things. Similarly, there was a piece written uh, by Mark Hinton about how the, the All Blacks uh, fans have fallen out of love with the All Blacks, and part of his contention was uh, that the all blacks don't do enough media you know well we all like to believe that but the reality is the all blacks have got four million facebook followers they've got nearly two million instagram followers you tell me a news organization in new zealand that can compete with that so we just need to be a little bit careful here about where we position ourselves as the media because social media has gone so far past for a lot of these athletes they don't need mainstream media and 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 we we might be upset about that and sometimes it really pisses me off i've got to got to be honest you know but but the reality is they can go directly to their fans now they do not need mainstream media as a conduit so we just need a little bit of perspective i think sometimes in terms of um our criticism of athletes for, for not dealing with mainstream media
0: great thoughts uh actually uh, tim uh, Tim Horan was with us too uh, before we had the panel. Uh, interesting updates there on uh, Totoa Kefu's situation. We might touch on that after the break if you two will stay with us. Jim Kay's Ricky Swinnell. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take some news with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions,
2: the
0: panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, 10.34 here on Here We're right in the middle of a very, very good and emotional panel this morning on uh, a number of issues. Uh, let's uh, let's be a little bit uh, a little bit more on the upside, shall we? Uh, let's, uh, Jimmy, on the show breakdown uh, last night, the greatest loose forward trio in the history of the All Blacks: Jones, McCaw, Brock. Yeah, unanimous. Yeah, it was pretty unanimous. I mean, that the only one uh, that was really sort of
6: debated was blindside flanker because, yeah, you know, Michael Jones, such a wonderful open side flanker, also played nineteen of his fifty-five tests at blindside, including for the All Blacks in the '96. Series win in South Africa. And I don't know about you two, but you know, you've got to have Michael Jones somewhere in the greatest ever All Blacks 15. So moving him to blindside was the solution there. Uh, really, no argument over Zinzian Brook. Anyone who watched Zinzian Brook play, just a magnificent player. And I guess a bloke at, at Openside picks himself just in the way that that, that actually uh, halfback and 10 are picking themselves at the moment uh, too. That'll be pretty straightforward as well. But yeah, the, a fair bit of debate around, around blindside. I think it was Jerome Kano. Absolutely outstanding, but missed out to, uh, to Michael Jones. And Ricky was part yeah, of the uh, expert <laughs> panel, so she's probably got a view on this. Oh, Ricky, well, okay.
3: That, <laughs> so I actually had somebody message me um, on Instagram this morning saying, oh, good choices for 9 and 10. And, and, you know, in the wonders of television, we can probably divulge that that was recorded a wee while back. And I absolutely can't remember who I picked and i'm just trying to remember now i know i picked brooke and i i know i picked indian brooke i know i picked jimbo but, but was i the contrarian who put, who picked jerome kano or did i i feel like yeah, i made a case for
6: at p-
1: least
6: <laughs> yeah you and ken laban went for uh you and ken laban went for jerome and nisbo and yeah. phil gifford went for michael jones yes. so we had to call in uh the arbitrator uh sir graham henry and and he plumbed for um uh michael jones interesting that in the voting uh Jerry Collins was 2% ahead of Jerome and a couple of percentages behind them was was Michael. So, yeah, interesting. I think, you know, recency bias is something that that we're sort of careful of taking into consideration.
3: Yeah, I think with that one, it was just difficult with, with, with Michael Jones, wasn't it? Because... Of, of having to try and slot him in, um, but, w- you know, was blindside flanker his best position? And, and look, I, I plumped for Jerome Kano, and, and I know you remember it well, Smithy, particularly when I think yeah. to the... I, I, I think the 2011 Rugby World Cup was won in the semi-final by the tackle he made... Um, on, on Digby Ioani, that's you know um, that was that was yeah. when it, for me the, the, that is, that's Jerome Kano's career. But I mean, gee, you're hard pressed to, to make an argument against Michael Jones as well, Sir Michael Jones, I should say too, um, as well. But yeah, yeah, it was it's a it was an interesting exercise, the whole thing. Um, and yes, because obviously I am a little bit younger than, than some of the other panelists. They were, <laughs> they were players I never saw play. Um, that the likes of that Nisbo and, and, and Phil Gifford, so I was kind of the youth vote a little bit, um, but it was, it was a lot of fun, we, it, it, and it, there's some, yeah, there were some interesting de- decisions and discussions had.
0: Uh, look, I, I'm I'm Michael Jones, out-and-out out Michael Jones fan. I, I can recall those glory days, uh, Jimmy. Uh, he just was. Uh, you know, if I look at a player that could perhaps, from his era, um, make the adjustment necessary... Uh, to play the game it should be played today or has to be played under legislation uh, there's a bloke with the most natural ability and speed etc i think could could jump the fence uh, easier than most but having said that jimmy akira Iwani, uh has uh, in the last two weeks um, I, I think he's answered a few questions hasn't
6: he i think he's been extremely good
0: yeah and and he's, he's now showing
6: some of the potential that we, we all saw in him he, he's we know he's big and strong and all those sorts of things, but the little show and go that he produced uh, to then give the ball to D-Mac, who then gave it on to um, to Brady Ritalica, that was wonderful rugby. So yeah, he's starting to really show what we think he what what you know even one who's seen him play thinks he could do on a consi- he's just got to do it on that consistent basis. And and you know I think we've got so uh, again another loose forward that excites me is Dalton Dalton Papaletti. Um, so, there, you know, we we have been a factory of loose forwards in New Zealand. And when you do something like I've done with, with the Greater All Blacks, and you just see so many, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Kirk. Kirkpatrick as a blindside flanker. Uh, we haven't mentioned Kieran Reid, Buck Shelford, Murray Mixed, Brian Lahore as number eight. We're, we're just full of these wonderful players. But yet yeah, today's generation, I think, just as exciting as, as some of the ones that have gone before.
3: Yeah, I, okay. and I, I guess it's such a, diff- a different game. Sorry, go Smithy.
0: No, I was just going to say, um, you, were you concerned about uh, half for Eden Park? I was just going to say, you, you know, from, yeah. you, I mean, you're watching, I, I seen from MIQ, you weren't able to get to the ground, but uh, very no. concerning, isn't it?
3: Uh, yeah yeah I, I you know i was I didn't see the first test because we were still in Olympics mode then I' good at the cycling that night um but watching yes in the very comfortable miq surrounding Christchurch, which I must say we're very grateful about how we are being looked after um was I was shocked when I turned the TV on to be honest and I look i, I know there are extenuating factors um in terms of that. you know the changes that had to be made, the, the backing up at Eden Park, um, and all of that. Uh, but uh, look, I think we keep talking about about the same things. And, and you know, as Jim brought up that conversation about Mark Hinton and falling out of love with the All Blacks, or whatever. The sport now competes as an entertainment package. You're competing against Netflix um, and all those great TV shows. You're competing against so many things, and people have only got so much disposable income so you can't just think we're going to throw on an all blacks game and if you build it they will come but you know it doesn't work like that anymore you have to look at what are we doing before the game how are people getting there what's the food situation like what are we doing mid match so many other things Uh, how are we catering to families and look I think the days of going to a rugby game and having a soggy pie and cold chips, which cost you 20 bucks and a warm beer, just aren't on anymore. It doesn't cut it. Um, and I think our whole sport as an event package, we're not doing that well in New Zealand a- across many, many sports at the moment when you see what other stadiums, what other codes and everything can do internationally. And, and I think we need a lot of fresh thinking and a lot of new ideas about how to get bums back on seats in stadia because people being in a stadium also affects... us uh, in terms of the TV side, who's watching. If you go, you see something, you see a full stadium, you think, man, I want to be there. If I can't be there, I'm going to tune in because otherwise I'm going to miss out on something. And that's what we're not creating, I don't think, in sport across the board in New Zealand at the moment.
9: Hmm.
0: Interesting indeed. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, guys. It was a very good and informative and emotional panel this morning. I absolutely loved it. And you're both absolutely... Invited back at some stage in the early future. It is 10:41 here on SCNZ. Great stuff there. Really, really good, insightful stuff, and quite passionate too. Uh, yeah. Uh, when we come back, uh, your text 8833. I've got a few to read out. Uh, if you want to call, that's fine. 0800 uh, 150 811 is our number. Uh, and some thoughts about what uh, Tim Horan had to say as well about the Wallabies. Uh, genuine bloke uh, is the consensus he's a good bloke so so yes, he's Jimmy Case. and so as uh, Ricky Swinner, a wonderful woman who's doing wonderful things in broadcasting 10.42 here on SENZ Superman!
2: Nothing gets past Smithy, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
0: Smithy, I nominate myself as the all-time worst number 11. I was even rubbish for my third grade school afternoon cricket side so bad that uh, one day I scored an actual boundary with a proper shot. On purpose, the team applauded and ran me out a drink like we did when a batsman hit a ton. I was getting—I uh, was great batting in front of the mirror, though. I'm hands down the worst there is. Cheers, Chris. Well, it won't be Chris Martin, but he's alluding to the fact that uh, after 11 o'clock, 11.30, in fact, we'll be doing a Mount Rushmore on the worst number 11s of all time uh, that you've seen play. Uh, might be your club mate, it might be someone else. Text us, 8833. Uh, we've had some really good ones in this morning on those selections. <laughs> Tim Horan, one of the most popular wallabies ever seen in New Zealand, certainly in the top five. Um, and uh, also uh, what he gleaned from that uh, interview uh, was, um, you know, he's very, very <coughs> much with his finger on the pulse, I think it's fair to say. And uh, it was a wonderful update he gave us on the... the Kota situation. Uh, one idea to keep some Bledisloe Cup series alive would be to remove the rule where a drawn series are a win for the holder. Have a tie break for a drawn series, total points scored or something of that nature. Joe, everyone's trying to balance it out. Good interview with Tim, very balanced as always. One of the things I've taken out of the past couple of weeks, Michael Hooper is an absolute competitor and a good bugger. He's one Aussie who would walk into the All Blacks. I think you're probably right. Even though Dalton Popper will eat you. Uh, Played pretty well over those two test matches, got better. Uh, Michael Hooper is truly world-class. The only one I think that they can boast as being truly world-class at the moment. And therein lies uh, one of the big differences is because, of course, uh, (laughs) we've got so many that would make a World 15. Perhaps not if it was selected in England, but uh, a World 15. and, And, of course, they've only really got Michael Hooper. They just have not got the cattle on show at the moment, regardless of who is coaching them. Um, now let's have a look at it Chandrasekhar would have to be one of the worst batsmen of all time he averages 4 his ability was the bat was affected by suffering polo as a child yes Kevin I know that uh, he had a severely um, handicapped left arm and that he could hardly use it uh, in any capacity at all so it would hinder his batting but boy what kind of bowler was he Chandrasekhar have a look at, at his record in test cricket uh, the Aucklanders are holding out for the South Africa test uh, they sell out two tests a year. That's the price break point for people. A bit tough to ask them for a third. Yeah, it would be, actually. It would be a bold move to say um, that uh, South Africa, if they came here, would play that test match in Auckland. The fans didn't stay away because of a sponsor uh, or because we hate the coach, though. They got 25000 a bit less than uh, what Wellington would have got. Yes, it was a bad look when they could have gone to Napier or Palmerston North if they wanted a full stadium image, yeah, I'm not quite sure (coughs) either of those stadiums would have uh, met the mark, to be perfectly honest, not for a Bledisloe Cup test Sorry Jeremy I might disagree with you on that one, but thanks very much for your text. I won't agree with all of them all the time. Uh, uh, 10.50am here on SENZ, when we return, Louis Herman Watt uh, and Brendan Popperwell from the TAB From behind the stumps
2: to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
3: the Love Racing update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan.
0: Uh, time to check in with uh, Louis Herman Watt, of course, of uh, Boys Get Paid fame, but of course of SENZ uh, Breakfast Show fame as well. And uh, Louis, I was just reading on the, the news, racing news nz as well, which is a good website. There's a a price war or a stakes war in Australia, which is benefiting the owners and the trainers over there, I guess they'd be very jealous here. But uh, Racing Victoria has today announced a series of enhancements to the spring carnival, bolstering all Group race, uh, Group One races for the carnival, all Group One races to a minimum of a million bucks each, mate. How about that? Oh, wouldn't it be nice,
1: Smithy? Just imagine that, just going around at a minimum of a million dollars. What's our most expensive race here? It would be the Crucker Million, wouldn't it? Or the Derby. Yeah, but... still a, I think we've got a four, four or so million dollar races the Derby, um, the Crucker Million, the Million Dollar Mile, the Million Dollar Two Year Old. Um, And what else do we have? But that's about it, really. Right. This is
0: Smithy. Guinea's down south used to be, didn't it? The Guineas Down South used to be, I'm not sure now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it-
1: yeah, that's right. That was that was worth a fortune, wasn't it? Peter Valandis is the puppeteer, isn't he? He he is the he is the man with the the puppeteer what's that called, try A puppeteer sticker uh a puppet he's that thing. He's done this but because he started this all off by, of course, launching the Inu race, the Invitational. The invitation, which uh on is going to win, by the way. Anyone that snapped it up at 17s in the futures market. So, by doing that, then Racing Victoria reacts. And that race is on the Cox plate day. So, it's actually a good thing. People say, and they lambast Villandis. He's, oh, he's arrogant, this, he's radi he's rad that, he's loud that, you know, he's brash. But it, as he points out, this is good for the industry. It's, ex- it's exceptional for the industry. And I'll tell you one mare that might really actually benefit from the million-dollar bonus that comes up with the Empire Rose is Avantage, because the winner of the New Zealand Thoroughbred Breeders' Stakes, well, they would get a million-dollar bonus if they came over and won the Empire Rose along with another about three or four Australian mares races. So it's fantastic news for the industry, I think, in Australia, and people that whinge about Volandis, well, I do think he's pushing everyone to be better.
2: Mornings with Ian Smith for Rebel Sport, celebrating 25 years of helping Kiwis find their win. It's New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years.
3: Number nine.
0: Thank you, folks, for all your nominations for New Zealand's Top 25 Sporting Moments from the last 25 years. We've compiled the list based on your feedback. And number nine is the all-whites beating Bahrain in 2009 to qualify for the FIFA World Cup. Leo Bertos with yet another corner for New Zealand.
9: Yes! Yes! (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant.
0: Is a penalty? Well, that's an extraordinary decision by the referee. Let's have a look.
4: Easily inside blockhead. Abdullah Omar. He has got the pace. He's got him behind there. Yeah, and he clattered into him. The
10: man taking the penalty is Saeed Mohammed Adman.
6: What a brilliant start, absolutely magic,
4: big man, down he goes, read it well, kept his composure, he didn't dive early, he actually saw that, he read it exactly well, great start. There's no guessing in that whatsoever, he's guessed it, he's taken the time and he's gone the right way.
9: Absolutely amazing, New Zealanders into the World Cup in South
0: Africa 2010, just the second time in New Zealand's history. Phenomenal. Good God, if that doesn't send shivers down your spine, I don't know what will in terms of uh, sporting broadcasts and sporting moments in New Zealand sport. And that hero, yep, not Rory Fallon. The guy that kept this in it on uh, both legs there uh, is Mark Paston, of course, the all-whites goalkeeper. Good Hastings man, I'm uh, happy to say. Uh, joins us uh, on the line, good morning, Mark Paston, Man, 12 years ago, really, 12 years ago, but uh, you must relive that moment quite often. Uh, good
6: morning. Good morning. Um, not
11: really, <laughs> 12 years ago seems like a long time ago. Um, I'm busy running around um boys play football at the moment, so um, it's sort of um, sometimes hard to remember. She used to go around for a
0: living. <laughs> Uh, hey, Mark, look, Tell us. can you tell us about that, that, that moment uh, when, you know, the whole of New Zealand were sitting, waiting, uh, aghast about what's about to happen, uh, and, and this, this dude's running in at you, uh, I mean, uh, he, you know, the odds on saving penalties are, are pretty remote compared to scoring them. Tell us what was going through your mind.
10: Yeah, it was a strange sort of incident, because obviously uh, Lockie got onto a um, bit of a tackle, which was ruled a penalty yeah, and
11: then I do remember turning around and their, their supporters were celebrating um their players were celebrating what they scored and I thought it was a little bit premature. Um a guy that um, uh, took the penalty can absolutely ping a ball cause it, you know, had three kicks in the previous game were, um, where none were a the target. They did go at 800 miles an hour. Um, I knew it was going to be a bit of a challenge but um, yeah, I remember just sort of standing there or just sort of indicating I was going one way and, and, and went the other way it was, yeah, it was a guess. But you know, a pretty good guess. so um, um, yeah if we went down to my right and luckily it stuck. Um, and there's no rebound. So um yeah at that point there was obviously a long time to go in the game still so I up and got on with it.
0: Honestly, I mean, I can recall it. I wasn't lucky enough to be at the ground, but it was absolutely chocker. Was that um, the best crowd, you, that Wellington crowd, you've ever played in front of?
10: Yeah, absolutely. I think nothing uh, has come close to that. Um, obviously, being a home crowd, um, and obviously the fact that um, there was a spot in the World Cup on the line as well. Um, you know, there was you know, obviously a few factors that came together to make that real... Um, special evening, which you know doesn't happen very often, and um, especially in football in New Zealand, the whites that don't play in New Zealand very often, um, let, alone those, let alone in those sort of circumstances. So, um, yeah, you know, it was an incredible evening, awesome atmosphere. Um, yeah, you know, almost like a bit of a blur in a way.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not sure how I, I can recall you guys walking around the ground, and it's one of those grounds you can walk around because of the the circular nature of it, and you can be pretty close up and up and personal with the fans, but it must have taken you, like, forever to get into the dressing room. It just seemed like uh, you shook hands with pretty much everyone in Wellington.
5: Yeah, well, I had a slightly
10: different experience to the team because I was actually hauled off the pitch in the middle of that to go be presented some award, which I had no idea what it was. Um, I went into this room and it was definitely quiet. Um, so I, th- I think a few, few TV cameras and reporters... Um, parade right there which obviously me very happy so I was presented this the in this really quiet room. Um so I'm, I did miss a lot of it. It was quite strange. So um yeah. Um I ended up missing the team bus that night as well. Um home to um and then back to the hotel. Um so that was another experience. <laughs>
0: Oh heck! I mean, you should have gone back in a limo. You shouldn't have been in the bus anyway. A high-quality limousine uh, for Mark Paston. Of course, what, what that led to, uh, and you had to quickly grasp uh, that reality, was a trip to the, the the World Cup in 2010 in South Africa. You had a, a, a mishap along the way. You had uh, a, an injury that perhaps was going to rule you out. Uh, Ricky stayed faithful and picked you, and then, uh, of course, um. I think it was Glenn Moss uh, had an injury issue, and you became his number one choice, uh, and probably the most memorable World Cup New Zealand will ever have, going through unbeaten. Uh, we'll go through those games one by one if we can. First of all, uh, Slovakia won all, uh, and you were busy that night. Yeah, yeah, it was obviously um, an interesting game, right?
10: We were obviously we done with um, obviously most people didn't give us. Uh, much chance in the World Cup. The fact that we're there are probably just um many people's eyes just happy to be there. But um, you know, if, if you look at our team, we obviously had some real quality throughout. We had you know, just seasoned professionals, maybe not playing at the highest level, you know, but Ryan Nelson and a couple of others. But you know, guys had been around and understood um, what it was required to you know, go out and grind out games and get results. So, um when we went 1-0 down, we never felt like we were out of it, and obviously got that last minute um, equaliser, which was um, um, supposed to
11: start a
0: pretty awesome World Cup experience. for us all. I think the result that uh, woke the world up, though, uh, was 1-1 with Italy. Um, unbelievable. Launched careers, actually. It launched a couple of careers uh, out of that uh, for players within uh, the all-white system, but that, I think, was the one that will last um, for a long, long time, if not forever, in our football history. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about, um, you know, uh, holding on against them, the Azuri.
10: Yeah, it was an odd. I suppose the second half was you know, an interesting one, right? Because they um, got that early goal and they you know, got that dodgy penalty to, to equalise. So I think a lot of people, again, expected them just to just sort of roll over the top of us. But... I think what was interesting and what I love about sport is how the, you know, the pressure almost you know, um squashed them. Um, you know, the the expectation that they needed to win and should have won. Um, we obviously defended really well and, and, and then they really just ran out of ideas. They were limited to a few long shots which you know I picked off and crosses into the box. So um that was it was um if I had to pick an example of you know one sport you should never um, whoever you come up against, you know, have always got a chance, and, and you should never rule yourself out. So, um, yeah, the sports funny like that—it um, um, yeah, was one of them incredible games where no one gave us a chance, but um, we were 5 season pros who knew knew how to get results. So, and, and with a great um, team spirit, which um, is a really powerful thing.
0: Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, uh, Paraguay—that uh, was a little draw, so you kept the, a clean sheet there. Uh, and then after uh, three group games, not to go any further, which is the sad part about it, but to realise that no-one in the group was able to knock you over. Uh, I, I mean, you, we often, when we play football, Mark, I, I think with the exception against uh, of some Oceania teams, we're, we're often the underdogs, to be fair. Uh, but that just was the crowning glory to go through unbeaten, surely. Yeah, I didn't actually clock it at the
10: time. Um, I was... Really disappointed not to go through. I was, I was um, you know, just probably showing how far we had come. The fact that most people were, you know, really disappointed that we hadn't just nick a goal in that last game and and, and, and got through. So I think some, it wasn't probably for a few months later that someone had mentioned to me, and I thought, oh, okay, that yeah, it was quite interesting. Um, so yeah, it, it's you know, it was a, a pretty um, incredible experience. Just the whole tournament. Um, you know, you go into this bubble and it's um, Sort of treated like royalty for um, a period of time, um, and then in a strange way. Um, and it's probably talked about the Olympics as well. The players, uh, all the athletes, flat come back, and you come back to sort of reality and um, um, your normal life. And you know, I remember coming back and playing a preseason game for the Phoenix here in uh, out stop out park in the mud, um, <laughs> which was sort of you know get your feet moving on the ground. So yeah, it was sort of quite a strange um, up and down experience. Um,
0: those well, It was a golden time for football and uh, because of that, uh, the team was recognised with uh, the Halberg Team of the Year, how you went, the absolute um, sportsman of the year, I don't, don't, don't know, I can't remember who won it back then, but uh, surely that was uh, one of the great achievements. What, Mark Paston, what is life for you these days? As you said, you follow the kids playing football, what else are you doing?
10: Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I've moved into IT. So actually before I started paying professionally, I did a computer science degree. Um, so I actually went straight out of, uh, when I retired in 2013, I went straight into working for a company called Rivera, who actually sponsored the NICS at the time and for a number of years. And um, it sort of gave me um, my uh, start and my, my next uh, period of my life. Um, and I'm now sort of working in cybersecurity for a company called Datacom, which is um, a company um and yeah it, it's um it's different but i am really enjoying the i suppose the more um the less up and down nature of of, of, of this type of work um sport um mm. it, it, it has been highlighted um sadly in, in the last few um few weeks is, um there's a lot of pressures that come with it and i, I don't miss a lot of that to be fair um some awesome parts but also um a, a lot of stuff uh, Experiences with it as well. So,
0: do you stay in touch with footy? Do you have, do you have a football team you you, you support? Uh, maybe a, an English team or something that you've got an allegiance to?
10: Not a, not a huge amount. I always had a soft a soft spot for Liverpool you know, when I was growing up. Um, matches they was on in Liverpool. were obviously the, the top dogs back then. So I think, like most people, into sort of that connection was a team that was doing well at the time. Um, so Liverpool through my team but other than that I'm, I really love just um, watching my boys play I coach one of, one of my boys teams and um, that's really it for now so yeah, pretty happy with um, my life at the moment
0: It sounds if uh, you've got everything in perspective. Uh, Mark Paston thank you so much uh, for reliving those uh, magical moments throughout that golden time for us particularly uh, that game uh, against Bahrain and Wellington in the stadium there uh, fantastic to, to catch up with you, mate, um, and uh, thank you very much for, for taking part in our magic moments. No
11: worries, Matt. Another
0: two of those New Zealand top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years. Uh, we'll be with Steffi after midday this afternoon, and that's thanks to Rebel Sport, of course, who are celebrating 25 years of Rebel Sport. Uh, 8833 is uh, the text number... Where were you? Where did you watch that magic moment uh, 10 years ago? It was sensational, the atmosphere there. In fact, someone has already texted me in uh, from Tony from Dunedin. Hey Smithy, I was at that game. It was the most amazing atmosphere at a sports game I have ever been to. Everyone is in such a good mood beforehand, a moment I will never forget. Thanks very much, Tony. And I think you echo the thoughts of what must have been 30 odd thousand that were there that night. There must be some of you. Um, who would like to relive it with us as well? 0800 1508 11, otherwise just text us on 8833.
2: Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11
0: 23 here on SENZ. Yes, uh, um, interesting, some texts coming in. Uh, a lot of texts we've been receiving, of course, about uh, depression and. Well, not so much depression, but pressure on uh, with performance and that. And here's one that's an interesting one because it actually doesn't uh, uh, doesn't pertain to to playing sport. It's more preparing for sport. Hi, Smithy I've experienced many highs preparing golf courses and first-class cricket wickets of 40 years. Uh, a couple of years ago, I prepared a T20 block which wasn't up to standard. That was my first sporting experience of failure. I got hammered by the media and by the losing coach. I got very little support from NZ Cricket and the Cricket Fraternity. I got very little support from my first-class colleagues because we have this tall poppy syndrome. It's like we enjoy seeing other people fail. I did struggle for a couple of years, but because I talked a lot and I got family and friends uh, around me, I was able to get through it. That's uh, from Jeff the Ref. That's another side of Jeff the Ref. Uh, I didn't know, but yeah, it's very valid point too it's not just and they do come under scrutiny a lot ground staff they really do uh, even in race courses w- when trainers aren't happy with the going uh, but it's the, it's the superintendent the, the curator that comes in for uh, a lot of flack in that regard uh, john i've got a text here as well uh, can we anyone uh, catch up on on the 25 that haven't really been part of the, the all of the 25 i mean put a text in to say I've really enjoyed it, but I've missed some. How do they catch up with those top 25 Rebel sport moments?
2: Yeah, mate, uh, we can definitely hook you up with those if you go online, uh, a place that you go all the time, Smithy, social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter. uh, There's links to everything that we put up uh, there. So just SENZ, uh, all the shows would post their individual moments so far. So should I give people a reminder, Smithy, of what's been the top 25 up until this point? That'd be a good idea, yeah. Yeah, all right. Number 25 was the Tall Blacks finishing fourth at the World Champs in 2002. Number 24 was the White Ferns winning the World Cup for the first and only time in 2000. We uh, did that one. Smithy, we talked to Rebecca Rolls. That was really cool, actually. She took the catch. That meant that the White Ferns won that title. Uh, Number 23 was Eric Murray and Hamish Bond winning back-to-back gold medals in the pair in 2016. Number 22 was the Black Ferns winning the World Cup in 2017 in an epic final against England. Uh, 2016 was Joseph Parker winning the WBO heavyweight title. Uh, 20, Sarah Ulmer winning gold in the individual pursuit Number 19 was the Men's 8 winning gold at this year's Olympics. We did that one as well. Number 18 was Israel Adesanya becoming the UFC middleweight champion in 2019. Lydia Ko becoming the second youngest person ever to win two golfing majors in 2016. That was number 17. Number 16 was Mahi Drysdale winning back-to-back gold. So he did that in 2016. Number 15 was Scott Dixon winning the Indy 500 in 2008. Number 14 was Brendan McCullum scoring a triple century in 2014. We did that one yesterday. Great chat with Baz. Number 13 was the Silver Ferns winning the World Cup in 2019. I heard staff uh, talking to amelia Ran Ikenazio yesterday. That was a great chat. Uh, number 12, Valerie Adams winning two Olympic gold medals. Uh, that one came in 2012. Number 11 uh, was the All Blacks becoming the first team to win back-to-back World Cups in 2015. And number 10 this morning, the boys had Adam Blair on and the Kiwis winning the Rugby World Cup for the first time. So just eight more to go, Smithy. Um, a few holes there, I guess. If you're very good here, you could probably guess at what the next eight are going to be, but also some that have missed out. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes in the next eight.
0: It's all a matter of opinion. Eight and seven will be with Mark Stafford in his show between 12 and four this afternoon. Parked on the side of the gravel road, says Michael, uh, on a high hill in the far north trying to get reliable radio coverage, will always carry... That memory of that sporting moment, uh, yeah, it was, certainly was something to, uh, to behold. Uh, Mark Paston saving that penalty and the All-Whites going through to the World Cup in South Africa. Uh, what was your multi today, Smithy? Popped uh, away for five minutes and missed it. Well, here it goes just for you, Tony. Uh, we've got uh, Daniel Collins to beat Shelby Rogers. That's uh, WTA tennis in America. Um, Houston Astros to beat the Kansas City Royals at a buck sixty-three, And Reading to beat Bristol City in the English Football Championship tomorrow morning at $2.20 to get you back $5.59 uh, with a bit of luck. Uh, also, someone's saying, uh, I'm living in Hawke's Bay, loving the station, but getting a bit of static on the radio. I'll pass that on to the techos because I know absolutely nothing about it. But thanks for texting in. So, uh, yeah, those... Um, those are the thoughts. Um, JD, uh, anything? Oh, Tana was probably the news of the morning, was it, Tana? Yeah, there's been Getting a little bit of news Blues. about, but yeah, Tana Umanga no longer at the Blues. And it's,
2: uh, it's been interesting, hasn't it, uh, his time at the Blues? I think, did he have two or three seasons as head coach and just mm-hmm. couldn't really get them going? Uh, then they brought in Leon McDonald, who was supposed to be an assistant, uh, but uh, instantly was basically put ahead of Tana as the head coach, which could have been awkward for Tana and I guess a lesser man would have packed his bags and said, "Okay, you don't want me, I'm out of here. But he stayed around as an assistant coach and a defence coach and just a great man of mana around the Blues. I think when you bring in a new face and a South Islander by that and Leon McDonald to a franchise like the Blues, uh, you need a good right-hand man. And I think what Tana's done as an assistant coach has been massively underrated. And I think a lot of people are suited to be an assistant. Uh, we hear from Tony Brown, enjoys being an assistant more than a head coach, and a great one. Uh, Wayne Smith stepped down as the All Blacks head coach and stayed on as an assistant. So I think Tana Umanga is going to be a bloody hard man to replace at the Blues, Smithy.
0: Yeah, he's clearly got the, the ear of a lot of the players. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he certainly will be missed. Uh, uh, but the Blues, uh, of course, uh, uh, the Blues, of course, uh, I think uh, are on the improved. Bit of a hiccup for the, the Auckland side, losing to Tasman at the weekend. But I think the Blues, by and large, they've got a wealth of talent up there. It's just a case of harnessing it and getting in it going in the right direction uh, on the amount of times that you play. Uh, that's the problem. We, we all know how good they are and how much flair they've got from time to time. But the fact of the matter is uh, they get picked off too often uh, for Auckland fans' liking. And, that uh, of course, that trend has to stop. Talking of getting picked off, uh, I get picked off a lot when it comes to stumping smithy, and that is what time it is now, uh, 0800 uh, John will ask you three questions from the sport of your choice. You get three options, the sport of your choice, uh, and then if you're able to answer those three, you've stumped me and you win 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers. So call now. That'll be after the break.
3: Ian
6: Smith's had a good match here.
3: Stumped by Smithy. Ian
6: Smith really is top class at his job.
2: They always call in for stump by Smithy because they can smell that money from the TAB. Uh, we've got Brenton on line one from Auckland. G'day, Brenton. G'day, boys. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, we just had that sporting moment, that great sporting moment, the All Whites, 2009. Did you watch that in person or on the TV? Do you remember that one?
9: Uh, not, no.
6: I remember watching a bit of it, but I didn't follow it. Football's not my, uh, my sport of
2: choice, mate. All right, well, fair enough. I'll uh, give you your three sports of choice for today. You get to choose one, get three questions right, you win 50 bucks, but get it wrong, Smithy comes in with a chance for a stumping. So, your first sport I'm going to give that, you is football. Your second sport mm-hmm. is going to be rugby union, and your third sport is going to be netball.
4: Rugby union
2: will do, mate. All right, Brenton, what is your sport of choice? Uh a rugby league or golf, mate. Ah, I see, unlucky. Well, I've been lazy. I haven't really written any more questions for those yet, but I will in the coming days. (laughs) But let's get started. All right. Rugby union. First question is Ian Foster now holds two records as coach of the All Blacks against the Wallabies. Which two records does he own?
6: Oh, I'd say the
5: highest winning margin. What
3: would the other
2: one be? And what would the other one be?
5: Hmm. I don't actually know, mate. Uh, To keep the Wallabies scoreless or something, I wouldn't actually know. The other one. Alright. He's got it.
2: He's out court. So, Smithy, an opportunity for a stumping. Which two records does Ian H- uh, Foster hold as coach of the All Blacks against the Wallabies?
0: Oh, John. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think best, best winning margin um, would be that. Um, also, I'm going to say... No, I, I can't ask. I was going to say perhaps a record you didn't want. Would I be close there? I mean, you wouldn't be... Oh, yeah, OK. Right, OK, no. Um, best winning margin and most points scored over two two games.
6: Beat everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of them on the way back to
9: the pavilion.
2: No, Smithy, it was uh, largest winning margin, which you both said, and also it happened at the weekend. The highest score ever scored against the Wallabies with 57. So those are the two records that Ian Foster holds against the Wallabies. All right, that means you get a chance, Brenton. Question number two. Yeah. How many years in a row have the All Blacks won the Bledisloe Cup? Oh,
6: they last. They last lost in 2002. So what are we here now?
5: 221.
0: So 19. That's a couple of chips down the wicket,
2: right in the slot, and away it goes. Absolutely correct, Brenton. Now, uh, Smithy, we had. Tim Horan on earlier, um, and we think that he's maybe from another generation, but he would have been close to that last team that won the low Cup. That's how long it has been.
0: Yeah, Horan, little um, those guys um, back in those days, fantastic. Uh, Toto Kefu might have been part of that yeah. group as well because that was the era that he played. Uh, of course, um, Toto Kefu, um, yeah, um, Jeremy Paul, that kind of era. So it was way back, but uh, yeah. One to go. One to go, Brenton. Good luck.
2: Yeah, Tota Kefu scored that try in 2001. That won the game and the Bledisloe Cup for Australia. Alright, so last question to get that $50 from the TAB. Will Jordan has played six test matches for the All Blacks. How many tries has he scored?
4: Oh, I'm going to have to say... The crowd's gone silent. Uh, Just...
6: Um, I'm going to say he's scored, I'm going to have a stab in the dark. six. Uh, How many has he played?
2: Six. He's played six test matches, yep. I'm
6: going to say he scored six. One of the worst things I have ever seen
2: done on a cricket game. (laughs) Incorrect. Uh, So (laughs) Smithy, another chance for a stumping, or if you get this wrong, Brenton gets the cash. Uh, He's scored eight tries, I'm sure
9: speed everywhere, body nowhere oh, oh. and
2: uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. No, Will Jordan, I think he did he score five against Fiji in one of these recent games, so there was five there, he scored a couple against the Wallabies in two tests last year, he scored ten tries in six tests for the All Blacks, which means, Brenton, you are the winner today on Stump by Smithy.
0: Sorry man, got lucky I think.
2: Yeah, you sure did. Uh, we'll keep you on the line though, give us your details and we'll get that 50 bucks from the TAB into your account
1: beauty, mate. Thank
2: you for that. All good. There you go, Smithy. Uh, yep. Some positive stories Fantastic. there for the All Blacks. Uh, positive stats and you just couldn't get the stumping.
0: No, I, I perhaps should have remembered those five tries for Will Jordan or four tries in one game. That would bolster him up. I, I had a sneaky suspicion he was averaging over more than one a game, you know, which makes him on track. But it's a long, long way to go. Uh, so, yeah, so 11.37 here on uh, SEN's, uh, SENZ John. With a couple of texts come through. Uh, great memories of Greg Rowlands, I uh, hey, have uh, the grass mound. He kicked the 40th point off for Bay of Plenty uh, to beat Australia 40-16 to 16 in 1981. And Greg Rowlands passing away, uh, former All Black, of course, and terrific servant for Bay of Plenty rugby, great goal kicker. Uh, also a great try, scored uh, first Waikato um, long, long time ago. So, yeah, very sad uh, to his passing. They've lost the two, in fact. Uh, lost Mark Whedon as well in the last week or so. What's Joe Smith up to? The Blues could look at him to replace Tana. Cheers, Ken. Um, Smithy, do you remember the ABs versus Munster? The two Harkers face-to-face. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Uh, Paddy and Lulu, thank you very much for your daily text this morning. Uh, Every Tuesday we try to have a Mount Rush War. We've come up with a goodie, I think, this morning. Uh, That's coming up very shortly. The worst number 11s to ever put the pads on and stroll out for their test sides. Over the history of Test cricket That we can remember anyway From behind the stumps To
2: behind the mic You're in safe hands It's Mornings with Ian Smith On SENZ
0: Jimi Hendrix there with the Star Spangled Banner, uh, of course the American National Anthem, but it's anything but American, our Mount Rushmore for today. It uh, pertains to cricket and the worst number 11s that have ever graced the field of play. Uh, I'll have a, a bit of a runner on my number one uh, when we get to that, but first of all, here's my number four from Australia, Jimmy Higgs. It's going to be
9: cans to continue. Got 27 overs, five Maidens, two for 68. It's buying to Higgs with two short legs. Silly point. Gummy in the slip. He bounces oh. it, and Higgs is out. He's called a no ball. Dear, oh dear, the New Zealanders are leaving. A, a call from Robin should be intimidating the batsman. Well, 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 I don't know. He's wearing a helmet. He's number 11 who's added 18 runs in the last week of partnership and he's called a...
10: Unfair delivery, well, William Temple, what do you think of that? Well, that's making a bit of a mockery of it, I think, Bill. A uh, man of Lance Cairns' pace uh, should be entitled to do that. Strike me on this uh, sort of wicket. I think that... Uh, yeah, they can play with tennis balls or have ladies cricket or something, That you know, that really is taking it a bit too far, I think, and <laughs> doesn't Jeff Howe think so?
9: Well, I don't know whether Jeff out has ever sworn, but he's entitled to swear now, and that was a good delivery. He comes forward on the front foot, as Tarlanders do do on this very placid Melbourne wicket. see, so he commits himself forward, comes forward, he's going to come forward with that front foot, just poke it down the wicket, the fan sees him coming forward, drops it in short, he gets a deflection, he's out caught behind, and Robin Barash calls an illegal delivery. Well, I never thought I'd see the day on the plum Melbourne, and Howard. Quite rightly, having a lot to say.
0: Well, they talk about the underarm game, but that was part of the same tour, actually. Uh, Robin Bailash, uh, who just hated New Zealand by all accounts, so I wasn't playing in that game, but I was watching, and the reaction on the field was matched by that in the dressing room. Lance Cairns, no ball for intimidatory bowling. The most ridiculous things, but Jimmy Higgs was a true number 11. Uh, (coughs) New Zealand got him out that day and the reason why it became so frustrating is he hung around because you couldn't bowl short to him he hung around on a flat pitch put his front foot forward and stuck around with Doug Walters and they put on a partnership enough to save a test match when New Zealand would have had I believe a famous victory for the guys that were out on the park so Jimmy Higgs uh, is a number 11 for me a genuine number 11 uh, and I don't really like recalling that particular moment but it was funny particularly in Chappell's commentary uh, which would uh, be blackboard today I would imagine some of the things he said um, number 3 uh, Monty Panesar from England so Monty Panesar will be
4: on strike New Zealand on the brink 313 for 9 oh, oh well 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 good Monty, ready, ready, good yes. just, Monty Panesar
2: stumbles in
10: Monty's dive too soon, just about made his ground on all fours, but
2: they've got the single. Have a look at this. Monty, you've dived too early. Briar was always getting you. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> All's well that ends well.
0: Brilliant. Absolute brilliant commentary there. Uh, late Bob Willis uh, involved in that, but yeah, Monty Panis, I'll never forget that, but uh, he, along with Matt Pryor, saved that test match at Eden Park. But Monty could not bat, did not like batting. He could see the fear in his face when anything remotely quick was coming at him. Uh, Monty Panesar certainly uh, is number three. Uh, number two, the, the bloke I think that pretty much everyone that's texted in today has put in their top four, uh, the legendary Tom. know He only took one ball from Waka and Chris Martin gets cleaned out to leave Matthew Sinclair unbeaten on 204. Yeah, Chris Martin, legend says that the reason he couldn't bat was because he used to ride his bike to cricket practice and couldn't fit any gear on, just his boots. So he never ever got to bat in the net. So that was one of the stories that went around from time to time, you could imagine it. He did stick around on the odd occasion uh, and help uh, tail enders uh, or other batsmen out to, to achieve uh, certain to achieve certain. Uh, statistics, milestones and that but by and large uh, he was fairly easy to dismiss very early Chris Tommy Martin Um, My number one uh, is Ewan Chatfield We don't need any audio of Ewan Chatfield the number of times he has been out there um, but he didn't enjoy the art of batting very much Chats, he got better and better at it uh, more more determined to, to try and stick it out He took a lot of pain in the West Indies in 1985 they targeted him uh, to the, the extent that, you know, he was just, they were not trying to hit his stumps, they were trying to hit his body and take him out of the bowling attack, which was pretty rough, but, uh, you know, it was permissible back in those days, and when you've got uh, Holding and Marshall and Garner running in at you at those kind of speeds, uh, Chats was uh, pretty brave in those situations because he just didn't have the, the technical ability. Here's a guy, of course, who actually technically died on a cricket field uh, during his career and was brought back to life after being hit in the head and managed to battle on at number 11 for us. So for me, without doubt, he's uh, won the Test match with Jeremy Coney uh, against uh, Pakistan in 1985. You and Chatfield, the Nine I Express for me, will always be the, the best uh, number 11 and the worst number 11, but the best number 11 as well. The best there of the go. worst.
2: My four. I like that, Smithy. Mm. I like that. Even um, you would have backed yourself to get a Test wicket maybe bowling against some of those guys.
0: Yeah, I think i get... Chris Martin out without much doubt. I'd get uh, Monty Panasar out. Uh, who I'd love to have bounced Jimmy Higgs just for the hell of it. Uh, I, wouldn't have got, I bowled the Chats, Chats a bit in the nets. Uh, I never got him out. Nice. What did you bowl, out, by the really. way, Smithy? Uh, I was pretty rapid. Gavin Larson's sort of thing. <laughs> oh, nice. And then, I turned, then I turned to spin but couldn't spin it, and they said I chucked it, so I had to keep the gloves on. Well, there that turned go. out pretty well for you.
2: All right, I'll go for my um, top four worst number 11s, um, stats speak for themselves with this guy and I think Danny Morrison would be very happy with this, um, that my number 4 is Courtney Walsh, because Danny Morrison I think had the record for the most Ducks in Test cricket, but then Courtney Walsh played for so long that he ended up getting 43 Ducks in his career,
0: smithy. That's a hell of a lot of Ducks. That's useless. That's absolutely <laughs> bone useless. You cannot get that many. You must be able to, he could run out 43 times, getting me. (laughs) Oh, it's a guy who just didn't care
2: about getting runs because he got so many wickets. Um, My number three, worst number 11s ever, uh, Phil Tufnell. Just awful to watch as a batsman. Looks scared at the crease. He's got more ducks than boundaries in his test career. 15 ducks and 13 fours. I'd say a lot of those would be edges. 153 runs total in his career from 59
0: innings. So Phil Tufnell for me, Smithy, number three. Don't have a problem with that. Great, Matt. Uh, great mate of Baz's too uh, Phil Tufnell, the man they called the cat they used to have to wake him up to tell him it was his turn to bat shortly, Uh, he used to love sleeping in the dressing room, a cat Yeah and I had Glenn McGrath written down as my number two but then you reminded me earlier
2: on in the show that he did score that 62 and then put it on his bat against uh, New Zealand so I've replaced him with another Australian and this is a great memory from my childhood Chris Pringle bowling to Bruce Reid
9: The final delivery of what's been a great match He's missed it, and it's victory. He's run out, so Nizil get two points. What a win, what a surprise, what a sensation. What a result run out is Bruce Reed off the final delivery.
2: One of the great overs Chris Pringle ever bowled. Uh, Australia needed two runs, Bruce Reed at the crease, couldn't hit a single delivery. All went through to Brian Young, who was keeping that day, Smithy.
0: Yeah, Brian Young was keeping that day, and uh, yeah, I think Greg Matthews was the non-striker, and he was absolutely livid filthy which made it so much more enjoyable but uh, Chris Pringle uh, yeah just uh, ran in and and, uh, it made Chris Pringle a bit of a a living legend for a while there in New Zealand cricket as well. Bruce Reid probably a little bit better than that but not that day. No, He was average. Not that day at all and my number one and
2: just before we head to the ads and then with Staffy, my number one Chris Barton and you'll remember this infomercial that he did for Pulp Sport. (laughs) Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
0: It is 11.58 uh, here on SENZ. Mornings coming to a close as uh, we head towards uh, our last over of the day and we head towards uh, Mark Stafford uh, in the afternoon. Uh, Good morning, Staffy. Uh, what of your subjects you, you've got lined up for us this afternoon, my old mate?
4: This afternoon uh, we've got Carl Budge on. Of course, uh, mm-hmm. woke up yesterday to the news that no sale GP in Christchurch. I'm devastated for the people in Christchurch who've prepared themselves for that. And but Carl Budge himself. If you think back, he lost the Tennis Classic to COVID. He lost the surfing competition in Raglan to COVID, and now he's lost GP. So he's hexed Carl Budge. So I just want to know what the chances of GP getting to New Zealand eventually. Uh, We've got the final in the five-part series uh, pre-record chats that I did with Ben O'Keefe before he went to the Lion Springbok series. That's been really well received. So Ben O'Keefe, of course, a TAB chat. I've got two interviews lined up because I have two top 25 moments in my show, Smithy, because I'm the hardest working host doing a five-hour show um, by myself. You're the second hardest working doing three hours by yourself. Everyone else has a crutch to help them. So I've got two of those, but I'm not going to reveal who they are till later. And I've got the Paralympics boss, Fiona Allen, on as well. So looking forward to her.
0: Daffy, here's something for you to ponder. You don't need to answer, but ponder this. South Canterbury are thinking of renaming their rugby team for the coming season and the future. And believe it or not, Steffi, they're thinking of the green machine. Are you kidding me? The green machine? Get out. There's the... only one green machine, mate. Yeah, I've got the they CEO of South one. Canterbury
4: Rugby on the show as well. Got him on to talk about this.
0: Good on you, boy. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much. To, good luck with your show, Steffi. Thanks very much to Trudy, to Brian, to John. It's midday.